Because I'll try to be brief because there's so many kids back in the back, and we had a kids worker like, please keep it brief, Taylor, because we have so many kids. <laughs> like this look of fear and panic in her eyes. I will say a couple things on that note. Um, one, I, because I'm not going to preach um, all the points uh, for that very reason, and because we have a lot of kids in here, which is fantastic, I encourage people that are bringing their kids to be dedicated and baptized, um, please bring your kids in. Um, and and we, we just love family worship. We love kids. Jesus loves kids. I love hearing the cry of children. In the You know, if it gets out of hand, obviously, you're always welcome to take your kid out. But feel free to go to the side, back. Don't. Just stay, stay put. It really, Mom, it, it really seems like this loud alarm in your ears, I know. But it's fine. It's the, it's the praise of the Lord, these children that are, that are singing and crying. And it's great. Um, God is a God of families, and he saves families. And, so, and that's part of what we're going to talk about this morning. So rest at ease. Enjoy this. Also... Um, as I finish up, or at any time, or certainly as we go to communion after I preach and we baptize and dedicate, or afterward, right afterwards, you're welcome. If your kids are in there, you're more than welcome to go get them and bring them in for part of worship, for the last part of worship. So at any time, I just want to say that. Um, okay, so this is our first baptism Sunday as a church. I know, um, I think every other church, Sojourn Church family has had a baptism Sunday but it's, it's a big deal for us, and we have folks from the Heights here um, having their children baptized, and we have some of our folks having their kids dedicated, which is huge. So this is a big deal. This is also the first time we've had, as any Sojourn Church in our family, this is the first time that we've had um, not only a, a baptism gathering for children, so this is a first for us, as far as I'm aware. It's also, of course, the first time that we've had, and I think this is, you most of you have probably never experienced this before. I've never experienced this in a church gathering, but where um, we have, we baptize, we're baptizing two children, and we're also dedicating two children. And, and for parents that just, they're not, they don't want to sign on to infant baptism. They're not convinced by scripture yet, and they might never be. And we want to be a church where uh, we unite on this issue rather than dividing. And so that's, that's huge, it's a huge statement for us of the uniting on the, um, being firm on the essentials, you know, um, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, um, liberty, in all things, charity. So that we really want to embrace that maxim this morning. So let me explain that a little bit more. It's not clear in Scripture. Um, Baptists, you know, believers only, Baptists are kind of going, oh, yeah, right. The, the issue, yeah, um, the issue uh, doesn't seem to be super clear in Scripture. Otherwise, I don't think you'd have two sides um, on the issue. Um, that is the best of both sides, those that baptize babies of believing parents and believers and those who baptize believers only, okay? The first position is called paedo-baptist, and the second is credo-baptist. Paedo means child in Latin, and credo means um, believe. So the, both, the best of both positions thinks um, their position scriptural, not traditional, but rooted in and argued from and convinced by scripture. So without having, I don't want, my goal today is not to convince you to come over to one side or the other. It's, it's to convince you that, that both sides ought to be respected for going to the scripture and really being convinced by the very word of God of their position and, and being willing and, and wanting to unite on this issue and not say we need to be two or three different groups of believers in the city. No, we don't, we don't believe that. We want to unite on this. So um, I had 
um, I had a lady leave, uh, her and her husband. She was stronger on the issue, so he kind of followed, <laughs> he kind of followed her out of the church. But they left um, because she disagreed with infant baptism and said, Jesus was baptized. Jesus and John the Baptist baptized adults and not babies. And Jesus said to baptize disciples, okay? And, and so it's simple. It's the simplest thing, simplest position, and so it has to be true. And so that's what I'm going to go with. Um, and I kind of kindly tried to tell her, using that criterion of most simple as true, um, we would be Muslims. Okay, a, uni- a unipersonal God is simpler than a tripersonal God. Um, the Muslim God is quite simply simpler than a trinity. We would be Aryans. Jesus as a man only is simpler than Jesus as fully God and fully man. We would be materialists. Um, you as body only are simpler than you as body and invisible but real soul. And we would be slaves because despotism or tyranny is a simpler form of government than a constitutional monarchy or than, our, than republicanism, um, our current representative system. Regardless of how many times you hear it, we're not a democracy, we're a republic. Newsflash. I just wanted to say that. Okay. Okay. I don't care how many times you hear it on CNN or Fox News or whatever you watch or listen to, um, NPR, we're not a democracy or a republic. Okay. So, so that's a sidebar. Um, hear, me, hear me clearly. Um, I tried to weave a bunch of humor into this very, uh, uh, this talk that is full of gravitas, to, to, use, to use Austin's word, full of gravity. I'm not arguing that believers only baptism is simple and therefore wrong. I'm not, don't, don't hear me say that. Okay. But I am saying that the simplest, therefore best argument might not be a great argument. The biblical case might be more complex. And I hope to sort of lay that out briefly. Michelle, who came to me and the kids and said, ah, oh, be short. Okay, briefly. But I do want to lay some of it out. And on that note, because I knew I wasn't going to be able to preach, this isn't even an exhaustive thing, not, not by any means. But I do have a fuller account of some of the arguments for both sides, but especially for the pedo or the child baptism side. In the back, this is my sermon sort of fully outlined out. If you want to take it, I printed off 25 or so copies, stapled in the back. They're for you if you want to take it and, and, and just kind of read through it in your spare time. I know you guys are fascinated by this topic. Um, there's also a pamphlet back there by John Sartell, Why We Baptize Infants. Excellent. Mine's about eight pages. His is about 20. They're both short. So if you want that as a resource, it's for you. It's not for sale. Just take one. Um, all that literature in the back is for you as well. It's all free. Even the CDs, they're free. I think people kind of pass them by thinking, I don't want to pay anything. What do I pay? I don't know. They don't have a sign. It's free, so take it. Okay. And if you want a copy and they run out, not that I doubt they will, but there's a run on, you know, infant Baptist arguments. You just can't wait to get home. You skip lunch and go home and huddle up in a chair and read it. Um, I can just email me or find one of us, and I can, get it. I can get it to you. I'll probably post it. So, Okay, so, so one, it's not clear in Scripture. There are scriptural convincing arguments for both sides. Some find one side convincing, some find another. But let's unite on this instead of opposing each other. And secondly, while it's very important, it's not a hill to die on. We should be willing to die for other issues. God as triune, one God and three persons. His full div- the full divinity and humanity of Jesus Christ. His fully atoning sacrifice for our sins on the cross. His physical resurrection from the dead the perfection, purity, and divine authority of the scriptures, and so on. We ought to be willing to die for these issues, to lay our lives down, to say, this is true, and if this is not true, you can take my life, okay? If that ever comes to that, I would, I pray, be willing to say that. Um, but not whether infants or believing parents may be baptized. It's important, but I'm 70-30 here in a, in a moment of utter honesty, maybe 80-20. 
on this issue, if I get to heaven and God tells me I was wrong here, I won't be, to use a British word, I lived in Britain for a while, gobsmacked, okay? If he tells me I was wrong on who Jesus is and what he came to do, I'll say, okay, Satan, angel of light, you know, just angel of darkness disguised as an angel of light, out of the way, where's God the Father? Because I know you're not God, okay? That's, not, that's just, that's not possible. I'd be willing to lay my life down for that, okay? Let's have some humility here is the point. All right, so what baptism is and what it's not. Quite simply, it's not salvific. John Sartell, of whom the pamphlet in the back, baptism does not save the child any more than it does the adult. So neither in infant baptism or in adult believers-only baptism does baptism save. It's a sign and a seal of an inner, real truth or reality, okay? So it's not salvific, but it is a sign and a seal that we've been commanded to do. So to whom is the question here? Um, Secondly, so that's what it's not. What it is, this is not exhaustive. What it is, it is a sign and seal of salvation. The salvation once and for all accomplished by Christ and enjoyed by believers and their children, okay, to to sort of um, let my position be known. To use a metaphor, children of believers are brought into the shadow or penumbra of the salvation wrought by Jesus Christ alone and enjoy many of the benefits therein, being drawn by the grace of God in Christ through the presence of his body, the church, into the salvation in which we now stand, okay? We who are saved and are being saved by faith in Christ, uh, by, by the work of Christ through faith in him, we hope, we pray, and we work toward this end with our children with confidence in God's grace and the power of his Holy Spirit to move our children from the death of sinners to the life of saints in Christ, okay? So that's one thing that baptism is. It's a sign and a seal of a greater reality accomplished by Jesus. We'd agree to that, I think. Um, The second thing that it is, that it it is a a symbolism of an inner reality, of a washing away from sin. With The the water is, is fairly clear there. And thirdly, most of all, it's an identification, I want you to get this, or union with the life of God through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's union with God in Christ, therefore, that is the focus of baptism, not merely a washing away of sins, important and essential as that is, okay? So I'm going to lay out the both, both cases fairly briefly. Um, the first, um, sorry, the Pado-Baptist position and the Credo-Baptist position, these are by no means exhaustive, okay? First off, I'm going to... Um, lay out four quick points to the scriptural case for credo or believers-only baptism. Um, I, I don't hold to this position. I do believe we ought, to, we ought to baptize believing adults who've never been baptized. Absolutely. We're going to get a trough. We're going to dunk. Yes. I wouldn't even be against dunking kids. I think the Greek Orthodox do that. All right? I'm not going to dunk your kids today. Don't worry. But I think, I think the kids will survive. Okay? But um, we're not going to do that. All right? Don't worry, moms. Um, I don't hold to this position, though. Uh, and we are not in a land where this needs to be argued as much because most of you are probably knowing where I am here in Texas. We're in Southern Baptist, credo-Baptist country, okay? So I'll be brief here. Um, One, this is the believers-only baptism case. One, it seems to be the clear command of Scripture and of our Lord himself, okay? It was the last thing he said to his disciples before his ascension, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Note the order. Make disciples, baptizing them. The implication here is that only disciples are baptized. Um, That is, first someone becomes a disciple of Jesus, and then he or she is baptized in the name of the triune God. To put it negatively, 
you don't baptize and then disciple. You disciple and then baptize. Okay, so these are arguments for believers-only baptism. Secondly, the mode, okay? Water and the mode of baptism usually figure into this argument. So John baptized in the Jordan River. So did Jesus. Jesus himself was baptized in the Jordan River. They went down into the water and came up out of it. In the Old Testament, you have baptisms. Naaman the Syrian, who was a leper, came down from Syria and was baptized, was dunked in the Jordan River. Um, and so this is, Baptists would say, an adult-only activity. You don't dunk kids. Now, again, some do. But they would say the mode that we seem to see in the New Testament especially really tips us off that this should be not for children. This should be for believers only, for those who are old enough, okay, older kids and adults to believe on Christ for, him, for themselves. Um, okay, this seems to confirm the clear command of Jesus to baptize disciples, not babies of believers, and it seems to confirm the clear meaning of the Greek for the word baptize, baptizo. Um, it means to uh, immerse or uh, submerge, they say, not dip or sprinkle. This is heavily contested, by the way, okay, heavily contested. We don't have the time or maybe the patience to get into specifics today, but there it is, okay? So that's the mode. It seems to be the clear command of Scripture. The mode seems to also say, hey, it, it, can't, it shouldn't be babies. Um, thirdly, and related to the water point above, it seems like total immersion as a symbol, a sign of the reality, the inner reality of baptism, dying to sins and raising, being raised to new life. It seems like um, it, the mode of dunking People who are old enough to believe on Christ for themselves and not sprinkling babies seems to convey the reality that's happening on the inside or that's happened on the inside better. Okay, that's a third argument. And finally, a little humor. To prove to you that I'm not trying to set up a straw man and for a bit of levity before the infant Baptist plunge. Thank you. That wasn't a bit of humor, but okay. Let me, let me read to you the, the table of contents of a book that I have entitled, Should Infants Be Baptized? Original title, Baptism Not for Infants. They sanitized it. Okay, chapter one, did the Jews baptize infants? The implied answer to this and all the other questions in the, in the titles is no. Did the Jews baptize infants? Okay. Chapter two, did John baptize infants? No. Okay. Chapter three, did Christ baptize infants? Four, did Christ order the baptism of infants? Five, did the apostles baptize infants? Skip a few chapters. Second to last chapter, infant baptism is retrogression. Please get in stronger. Last chapter, the evils of infant baptism. <laughs> Just blows the doors off, okay? Strenuous arguments against infant baptism as right Christian practice exist aplenty. And they well should, if indeed the arguer believes that the practice cuts against the clear dictates of Scripture. I do not believe they do, and so I'll now make this clear. As clear as I can in a very short amount of time, okay? Okay. Um, the scriptural case for pedo-baptism or infant baptism of believing, at least one believing parent, okay? That's important. Um, I do hold to this position, and it's much less understood, so I'm, gonna, I'm probably not going to spend a whole lot more time on it. I say that in my notes. You can look at them more in, in the back if you want to afterwards, okay? The number one reason, and this might be the only reason I share, and then we'll actually get to First, baptizing two dear uh, children and then dedicating two dear children, okay? We'll do the baptism first, and I'll call you up, families, and then we'll do the dedication. The, the main reason I want to share, and I have some subpoints here, okay, is the covenant. Okay, Bill Clinton, if you're old enough to remember his presidency, all right? I know we have a lot of millennials in here, but um, 
he was president back in the 90s, and uh, he had a famous phrase, it's the economy stupid, uh, or maybe it was just about his, his tenure. Um, let me tweak and sanitize this for my purposes and say it's the covenant silly, okay, or it's about the covenant silly. Okay, this is, this is the main, it's the covenant. The covenant that God established, has established between his people starting with Abraham and really even before Abraham um, um, is really what the focus of this holistic scriptural argument and understanding of infant baptism. Um, okay, let me, let me try to unpack that. Protestants, we hold to two sacraments um, compared to Roman Catholics who have seven, okay? We hold to two sacraments, baptism and communion. The first is once for all, baptism, and the second is continual. Both here, stay with me here, both are new expressions of old events or of Old Testament or Old Covenant events. Communion is the new covenant fulfillment of the Hebrew Passover, okay? Um, where the innocent lamb is slaughtered and consumed by fire so we can live. Okay, so, so that, was the, that was Passover where you're spared if you slaughter an innocent lamb that didn't deserve to die and the, the lamb is consumed by the family and then the rest of it that's not consumed is burned up in the fire so that the angel of death passes you, the guilty, over because the blood of the innocent lamb is covering you. That, that, okay, the Lord Jesus said, I, and we're going to celebrate this sacrament. It's two sacraments in one this Sunday. Okay, we're going to celebrate baptism together, and then we're going to celebrate, as we do weekly, communion. Communion is the New Testament fulfillment of the Old Testament ordinance of baptism. Uh, of, excuse me, of, of Passover. Okay, now, there is one more ordinance that God gave his people in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people, Israel. Baptism is the new covenant fulfillment of circumcision. Okay, circumcision was the other ordinance that God gave to his people, starting with Abraham, where life comes from a place of death. In circumcision, the foreskin of the male child is, is cut and cast away. The place where life uh, it should come from, okay, is, is essentially, it's killed, and it's bloodied, and it's cast away. And, and, and God's saying, from that place of death, life will come by faith in my works, by faith in my promise. And Jesus comes along and he says, I fulfill that. And the New Testament writers seem to make fairly clear that actually baptism is a fulfillment of circumcision. We no longer are called to be circumcised as a group of believers, as God's church, as God's Israel, as it were. We are called to be baptized as that sign. In a place of death, going down under the waters, okay, being, going down under the waters and being drowned, as it were, Jesus said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and woe that it were accomplished. He was talking about the cross. On the cross, Jesus underwent a baptism by fire, being covered in the wrath of God against our sin, and was drowned in death and hell, so that we wouldn't have to be as we look to him for life. So that in that place of death, life comes from that place. It came first for Christ, who rose from the dead three days later after he died, and it comes to us as we trust in him and as we are united with him. Remember, union with Christ. We're united with Christ in his death by faith and what he's done. And we are brought to a new kind of life. Okay, so that was circumcision in the Old Testament. It's fulfilled in the New Testament ordinance of baptism. So we have two ordinances. The Hebrew people had two ordinances. Okay, the Passover meal and circumcision. And now we have the Lord's Supper and instead of circumcision, baptism, okay? Um, 
Paul makes this connection explicit in Colossians 2, seemingly at least, and even equates circumcision and baptism. Colossians 2.11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Okay, so that's the first thing, is that baptism seems to be the new covenant fulfillment of circumcision. Now, stay with me. God, secondly, under, that, under the covenant point, God shows special favor to the children of believers. I want you to pay close attention here because I'm working, I'm trying to work, work a logical argument here, okay? Under the old covenant, he expressed this through the covenant of circumcision. Under the new, baptism, like I've said. John Sartell says this. In Genesis 17:7. God made a covenant of salvation with Abraham. He told Abraham that the covenant was not only for him, but for his children, his grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and so on. Sartell says, be sure you understand this. These children had not been born and had expressed no faith, yet God was promising to deal in a special way with them. He was not simply foretelling the future. He was not predicting a prophecy. This was a covenant. He was saying, I am going to engage through my work and through my promise and ultimately through my son Jesus in relationship with you as sinful people because of what I will do eventually through my son Jesus Christ. And Abraham believed on that. And Genesis 15 says it was credited or counted to Abraham as righteousness. He wasn't righteous, but God considered Abram righteous because Abram believed God and his promise that was ultimately fulfilled in Christ, okay? Now, because of, his, because of what God was doing, and, be, and through Abraham's faith, Abram was considered righteous. What was the sign of that? Genesis 17, circumcision. In Genesis 17, God says, therefore I want you to be circumcised, not to make you righteous, as a sign that I'm considering you righteous by faith. Now, here's the thing. Did he just, did he just command Abram to be circumcised? No. He said, circumcise yourself and all of your household. And all of your household. Um, Abram, we find in Genesis 14, was a very rich man, and he had, get this, 318 men who could fight in battle just in his household. So think about how many other people he had as well under his representation, under his covering. All those men and more were called to be circumcised because they were represented by Abraham in his faith, as well as infants. God didn't just say, hey, just for those who believe, who can believe. He said, you also command circumcise as a sign of your righteousness by faith, infants that are eight days old. So Ishmael was circumcised. Isaac, at eight days old when he was born, was circumcised. So, so this was a sign of a faith that these children could not place at this time, but that Abraham had, and that was a covering of grace and a sign of God's covenant and command to Abram. So Sartell condenses it this way. He says, Abram was a sinner saved by grace through faith, just like we are. Okay, by the work of Christ, through faith in what God was doing, eventually that, that consummated in Jesus. Number two, God made circumcision a sign of salvation. It didn't, circumcision didn't save. It was a sign of a special grace of God okay, and of salvation. Number three, the sign of salvation was to be given to infants of believing parents. Okay? Um, so God shows special favor to children of believers. Thirdly, under covenant, Jews made up most early believers. Here's what I really want you to focus in on. This is the transition point, so stay with me, and then we're getting close, okay? Jews made up most early believers. 
They've been circumcising their kids for centuries as a sign for, namely for 1,800 years. Love that. Don't worry. It's great. Um, she's praising Jesus. She's about to get dedicated. They had been circumcising their children for 1,800 years as a sign of, of God's grace and favor on them, all undeserved. Circumcision ceased to be a sign required of the people of God. Paul makes that super clear. Baptism took its place. Males eight days old were to be circumcised. With baptism taking its place among the people of God, mainly Jews in the early days, surely, listen to this, surely there would have been clear directives not to baptize infants, um, but only those old enough to believe on Christ for themselves. Most of these Christians in the early days were Jews, okay? There is not a single instance, there is not a single directive of this. Not only is there no directive not to baptize infants of believing parents, there is evidence that it happened regularly, and being carried over from circumcision as a new covenant sign was standard practice, just as circumcision had been. In Acts, every time we have a fully described adult baptism, a person's entire household, okay, servants, wife, children, extended family living in the house are also baptized. There's one exception. Does anyone know what the exception is? Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. I wonder why his household wasn't baptized. First of all, they weren't with him. Secondly, he didn't have one because he was a eunuch. He couldn't have a household, okay? So um, the only instance where this does not happen is in the case of the Ethiopian eunuch. In this case, children were obviously not in the picture. So this argument from the New Testament never explicitly endorsing infant baptism actually seems to work as an argument for it. With centuries of practice placing the sign of the covenant on children in believing households, almost 2,000 years, okay? The silence of the New Testament authors regarding any sort of prohibition on placing the fulfillment of that sign, baptism, the new covenant sign, um, on children is a strong argument, to my mind anyway, of the covenant veracity, the scriptural veracity, okay, the holistic scriptural truth of uh, the cogency of infant baptism. Okay, Francis Schaeffer, I have this whole thing in the back. He's really good on this. I'll read the first part. He says much the same thing, but better. He says, these questions would be further aggravated by um, what this saved Jew himself would have heard taught in the New Testament times. For example, he would have heard Peter in his sermon, so questions like, should I baptize, should I baptize my kids? I've been circumcising them as a sign of the covenant. My, I'm, I'm being considered righteous by faith in what God has done, by faith in God's promise, and that's extended to my kids, okay, in good hope that they too will believe on God's promises, but it's a special grace God gives to my children, and, and he, he comes after families, not just individuals, okay? Every Jew is thinking this. Okay, and so that's what he's talking about. These questions would have been aggravating him as this new covenant sign takes the place of and fulfills, doesn't abrogate, but fulfills circumcision. Um, for example, he would have heard Peter in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 38 and following. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. This is the first church sermon, basically. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord shall call. The last few points on uh, under covenant, and then I'll just list off the other points that are in the notes in the back if you want to take those for later. Again, under covenant, the main reason for why we believe this to be scriptural. Um, it's because covenant and salvation in the scriptures is representational. In birth, whether we like it or not, and we don't like it, Adam represents us. When we're born, we believe we're born into sin. We don't just sin. We are sinners. It's our constitution when we're born. Where do we get that from? Adam. He is our federal head. He represents us as we're born into the old man. In his 
rebellion against God, in his disposition that is against the things of God. In, in the new birth, when we're born again by faith in Jesus and his person and work, we are represented by Jesus Christ, okay? The father represents children. The husband represents his wife and his family. This is why, again, when Abraham believed, he was told to circumcise himself and all that he represented or covered in his house, including infants. So if we don't like representation, we have serious problems because our salvation depends on our being represented by the person and the work of another whose name is Jesus Christ. Now, believers only Baptists, am I, am I saying like, you know, if you don't like, if, if, you know, your salvation depends on this. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just trying to make a case for at least um, those who don't agree with this, understanding there are scriptural ar- arguments for both sides. Okay, that's where I want to, I don't want this to be a wedge. I want this to be a uniter. Okay? Um, it expresses the priority of grace to faith. That is, with all of us, it's not we who of our own volition and goodness and because we see God as good and because there's some goodness in us. It's not we who come to faith in God and see that he's worthy. It's, the scriptures are very clear. It's God who calls us from death to life. And through mystery, just as this is mystery, and I can't explain this. I'm trying. I can't explain. It's a mystery. It's a sacrament. Both of these things are the hardest things in theology to explain, okay? But um, in the same way that God, through no good of our own, go read Ephesians, the first chapter, through, through no good of our own, but through his sovereign and pleasing will, chooses some of us through no good of our own, though we are dead in our sins and rebellions against him, to, to draw us to himself, to, to give us faith, to trust in him, and to cover us in the blood, the saving blood of his, Jesus, of his son, Jesus Christ. In that same way, um, um, it, it's a great picture. We don't come to Christ because we choose to believe on him. We are, we are given eyes to see and a heart to believe, and so we come to Jesus. That's what the scriptures seem to make plain. And I know there are, there are controversies on this issue, but children being baptized is a great picture of that. Grace, the work of God on the behalf of sinners who don't deserve it, preceding and giving rise to faith. So even if you disagree with infant baptism, you can't say like, no, it's, I did something to come to Jesus. No, you didn't. You did just as much as this little infant who's being baptized, and we're placing the sign of how grace precedes what we pray will be their own faith one day, and the blessing that covers them, okay? Um, so it expresses very clearly when it's to infants the priority of grace to faith. Um, and finally, um, under covenant, and I'll just list off the rest, and then I'm going to call the families up, okay? The, the two families that are being bap- having their infants baptized first, and I'll make that clear. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, grace always expands. It never contracts. So uh, to put this simply, as simply as I can, Okay, in the entire, the entire scriptures are a picture of God making a people for himself, having that people disobey him, and having that relationship severed between him and them. And then God going after that people to make a people for himself once again by, through his work and through his sacrifice, okay? Um, he makes himself approachable and available, even in the Old Testament. He comes to Abraham. He goes with the, with the Israelites through the wilderness in a pillar of fire and cloud for 40 years, he remains with his people even though they're disobedient. He's, a, he's approachable, but he's, it's, it's, he's really hard to approach. You have to do it in the exact right way. Only, you know, one high priest once a year in a certain way, in a certain room, the Holy of Holies, can approach the presence of God. 
according to everything that he says, or else you die. So he's approachable. He makes himself approachable. He condescends, but it's really hard. What does that look like in the New Testament? The New Testament blows the doors off that. Jesus is God come to us, and on the cross, he, he, he absolutely, he is torn on the cross, and the Bible says he is a, the fulfillment of that curtain that separates the Holy of Holies, the place where God and man can meet once a year, but if they don't meet in the right way, the man dies. He tears that curtain from top to bottom. Literally, it tore the minute he breathed his last. The scriptures say that curtain tore, and he gave, Jesus Christ, through his torn flesh and shed blood, gave anyone who will come, anyone who wants to come to God, full access to God through the torn body and the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus in your place. So Jesus instantly, through his work in person, makes God uber approachable. But it's only through one way. It's only through Jesus. So in that sense, you see how, just for that one example, um, there's, God is approachable, but, um, his, and there's grace in the Old Testament, but it's not, it doesn't contract from Old Testament to New. It rather expands. So um, if, the, if the Old Testament shakes the can of grace, the New Testament opens the top off, and it just blows. So that's the way that grace works. Along this line, this is the last thing I'll say, does it seem consistent that as the New Testament form of circumcision, which was for infants of believers and believers, um, and believers alike, that baptism would suddenly say, no more infants of believers, believers only? Or does it make more sense that this would carry over and expand this expression of the covenant of grace? That is, the sign that admitted only infant males would expand to include all infants of believers, male and female. Baptism does this. All are welcome to Christ, believers and their children. None of it deserved. Grace preceding faith. Yes, it's a mystery. Have I explained it? Not really. Not really. Okay, the other points that you'll see in the back if you take something. Number two, so that's all covenant. Number two, God blesses families, not just individuals. He says this to Abraham. He says it through Peter in this Acts sermon. Church history seems to endorse it. Okay, there's lots of good points there. Number four, Jesus has a special love for children. So why, having shown that love through his covenant for 1,800 years, should we all of a sudden, when Jesus comes and blows the doors off of grace and the accessibility of God, should we say, okay, no more? Okay? And secondly, the reformers did not change this practice. They changed a lot of stuff, and they weren't afraid of changing things. We know that. Okay, but everything they changed, they were trying to change to go back to what Scripture said. And they were convinced, and that all the confessions and catechisms state this, and I have that in the notes in the back. They were convinced by Scripture that this practice was scriptural, was covenantal, was holistic. Something done by God that expresses the sign and seal of our salvation and our unearned grace. Okay? Um, the Heidelberg Catechism, should infants to be baptized? Yes, infants as well as adults belong to God's covenant and congregation. Through Christ's blood, the redemption from sin and the Holy Spirit, who works faith, are promised to them no less than to adults. Therefore, by baptism, as a sign of the covenant, they must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the old covenant by circumcision, in place of which baptism was instituted in the new covenant. What is dedication? I think it's essentially a recognition of much of what, about what I said without the sign of the covenant applied to the child. Because the parents are not ready to take this step, may never, and that's okay. 
Um, we have biblical instances of baby dedication in the Old Testament in Scripture. So Hannah dedicating Samuel. All right? That's okay. I would prefer we baptized our children in faith and obedience, being convinced by Scripture, obviously. But dedication is certainly a good thing, too, and a blessing. We will pray for, love, and direct our dedicated children to Jesus and saving faith in him just as we will any other child in our care and any other baptized child in our care. And whereas we will, hear, hear me on this, whereas we will not rebaptize infants, at least at Sojourn Galleria, you may at Heights, I don't know, you may at, at Montrose, you may at um, Spring Branch, I won't rebaptize infants um, because I believe this is a real sign and seal of something significant of the grace of God being placed over this child. Um, not salvific. Um, we, don't, we don't need to redo this, okay? Um, we won't ba- rebaptize, baptize infants once they come to faith. We will rebaptize dedicated infants once they, we pray, come to faith. And we will rejoice when both do. Dedicated children and baptized children, okay? The church has two evangelistic thrusts, guys. Outsiders and our children. R.L. Dabney said this, He said, the education of children for God is the most important business done on earth. Moms, y'all hear that? It's the most important business done on earth. It's the one business for which the earth exists. To to it, all politics, war, literature, money-making ought to be subordinated. And every parent especially ought to feel every hour of the day that next to making his own calling and election sure, this is the task, the education of children. This is the task for which he is kept alive by God. This is his task on earth. So let's now baptize and then dedicate these precious babies, okay? I'm going to invite the oars and the Eubanks up at once. We're going to kind of do, I'm going to bring each child individually into my arms, but we're going to sort of say the, the, the pledges together, okay? I'm going to ask them. So the oars and the Eubanks, if you'll come up now. Um, I'm going to ask things of them, and then I'm going to ask things of you, the congregation, okay? Okay. Come on up, guys. I'm going to move my stuff. Come on. Mm. All right, y'all. This is, these are Heights folk. These are, this is part of our larger Sojourn Church family. So excited. Okay. Um, so uh, this is Clint and Lisa at Eubanks. All right. And this is Josh and Kristen Orr. And I will have you hand me the babies, tell me their names, and then we're going we're gonna to baptize, okay? So you're welcome. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. It's an honor. It's an honor. Um, okay. I'm going to read to you guys and the congregation from these. I have a couple books for y'all. Okay. Here we go. This is my first time to do this. So, grace. We're under a covenant of grace here. Okay, parents, um, I'm going to ask you both together, and then I'll baptize your children, okay? Do you acknowledge your child's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Okay. Do you claim God's covenant promises and benefits for your child or children? And by faith, do you look to the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your child as you do your own? Amen. Do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God And do you promise by relying on God's power and grace through the Holy Spirit to live an exemplary life before your child? Do you commit yourself to pray with and for your child, to teach your child the scriptures and the great articles of our faith in Jesus Christ? Do you promise to use every means provided by God 
including faithful participation in the life of the church, to bring your child up in the loving discipline of the Lord. Okay, now this is for you, the congregation. Do you, now let me say this, this is Heights. This is part of our larger church family. If you say we do, I want you to be able to say it in good conscience, you're making commitments to be involved in the life of. If you don't feel like you can do that as a congregation here because you won't be as involved, I respect, we respect that, but if you want to even say it representing your family at Heights, please do, okay? Because we are a church family. So as conscience dictates, please. But Heights people, you better be speaking up. <laughs> do you, the members of this congregation, acting for yourselves and in behalf of the whole body of Christ, assume responsibility, this is huge, with these parents for the scriptural nurture of this child? Okay. Do you commit yourself to set a godly example before this child to provide as far as you are able all that is necessary to the end that this child may one day confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Okay. My friend, Clinton Lisa, who do you present first to be baptized? Oh, sorry, I got to get my water. It's not the water that's holy, it's the, uh, it's the Lord and his work and the, the sacrament that he tells us to obey. So this is, it is pure enough. I got it out of the Okay, my friend, can I grab you? Can I hold you, sweet boy? Yeah. Good. Thank you, sweet boy. Okay. Lincoln Samuel Eubanks, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son. Liberal application. And of the Holy Spirit. Love you. Grace. Come here, sweet Grace. Grace, Erin It means grace and peace. Erin is Greek for peace. So how about that for a name? Grace, peace, Eubanks. Grace, Erin Eubanks. Sweet child. Covenant child. I baptize you in the name of the Father. And of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. Okay, you've already said your pledges, so bring on Ryan. Ryan Patrick. Ryan Patrick Orr. Hey, big boy. See, he's reaching for me. This is a good sign. Come to Papa. Hey, sweet boy. Ryan Patrick Orr, good Irish name. I, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I know, right? Hey, Amen. Okay. Last request before we bring the, dedicated, the kids up to dedicate, okay? I want, I, most of us, I hope, some of us know this. For those that uh, do, carry those that don't. I want to sing Jesus Loves You to these kids. And before we do, let me just say, Karl Barth, one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, was on the Princeton campus, apparently, later in his life, toward the end of his life, and a student asked him, Mr. Dr. Bart, Dr. Bart, um, he, what would you say is the most important, profound theological thing that you've learned? 
and I think the student was expecting some sort of ponderous answer. And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. So can we sing these, this profound song to these children? Okay, uh, dedicating families, can you come up now? Thank you for your weight. God bless you. Bring them up. Come on in, guys. So this is Michael and Joni David, and we'll introduce your babies in a little bit here, the most important part of this, but y'all are as well, very important. Um, and Kale and Lynn Dowell, our two families here at Galleria, okay? So I noticed that you, you said pledges as a congregation with gusto last time, so I expect the same. And again, for the heights, this goes, what I said earlier goes, goes as well for, for these children, okay? A bit different here, but rich. Okay, parents... The purpose of this service, of this time, is to help you as parents fully embrace the sacred call to raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so, in keeping with that purpose, will, now, will you now respond together to the following covenant, to all four of you, parents. Do you now present your child before God in solemn dedication? Okay. Do you consecrate yourselves as parents to bring up your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Do you promise to instruct um, her? in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and in the practice of prayer, and to guide her in the development of a Christ-like character. Okay. Do you promise to try by God's grace, so to shape the home life of your child, both by example and family devotions, and by your word and conduct, that at the proper time, she will come to an open confession of Christ and membership in his church? And as much as you have promised before God and his people to raise your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, we charge you to set yourselves to that task by the grace of God. Okay, congregation, do you the body of Christ? Okay, what I'm expecting is we do God helping us, if by conscience you can say that, okay? We do God helping us. Do you, the body of Christ, promise to receive these children in love, pray for them, help instruct them in the faith, and encourage and sustain them in the fellowship of believers? We do God helping us. Amen. Okay, okay. Now, water aside, okay, if you can present uh, your child to me, and then I will present this child to the Lord and to this congregation. Kensington Blaze David, what a name, what a sweetie. Kensington Blaze David, I dedicate you to God in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I have three, but when they're that small, you kind of forget. They're so tender and wobbly. Hey, sweet girl. Who do you present, my friend? Sawyer Grace. Okay. Dow. Sawyer Grace Dow. I dedicate you to God in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.